0: Billy Sasser did not know it, but that song, Because He Lives, was sung at my first grandson's funeral, who died at the age of four and a half months, twenty-three years ago last month. And tonight we're expecting our first great-granddaughter, great-grandchild, and Katie's having problems, so please keep her in your prayers and the baby. For a number of years now, I've been holding grief seminars. Dan Winkler got up at our lectureship this past, I guess it was last year, not this year, but last year, and said I'd been going around the Brotherhood giving people grief. And I've tried to live up to that over the years. It's been a long time since I stood in this pulpit, but I've stood here many times. And I know most of you that are here tonight, and I'm glad you're here. We have an unusual subject. Are you prepared or preparing to die? What a question, what a question. I heard two Christians talking one day and one of them said, you're getting older. The other one said, well, considering the alternative. And I broke into the conversation and I said, the alternative is paradise, what is your problem? But I have an idea that none of us is ready in the sense of wanting to go this minute. I don't think that's possible for the human condition. God put an instinct in us that longs for life. In fact, He came that we might have life and that more abundantly, John 10. 10. And so it's difficult to think about death. First of all, it's an enemy. It's the last enemy that will be done away. And it is an enemy. I don't like it. It makes me angry. My daughter had to have her dog put to sleep Saturday. Painful for her. That's a pet that she had since it was a puppy. The dog was 14 years old. She'd had it a long time. And it hurts when things die that you love. It hurts very much when you lose your mate. That is the worst one in terms of death because you lose part of your identity when that happens. We had a fellow at Forest Hill whose wife died and I saw him a few months later and I said, Ernie, you seem to be doing well. He said, yes, Keith, but you don't see me at night. Death is an enemy, it hurts, it breaks up things, it stops things. It's an unusual subject, are you preparing to die? Let's talk for a few minutes as we start tonight about what death is. And I would invite your attention to James 2.26 and then we'll go to some other passages. But James 2.26, James tells us that the body without the spirit is dead. And I am wonderfully glad that he did not say that the spirit without the body is dead. He said it the other way around, indicating that the only thing that dies when we die is the shell in which we live. If you'll open now to 2 Corinthians chapter four, we'll take a look at a thought that the apostle gives us about how to live this life even though this life ends. He says concerning the gospel, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, all of us are dying in some sense, it's decaying in a sense, in fact, the text says it is decaying. The outward man is decaying. King James says perished there. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There's a real sense in which I'm getting younger. One of the student wives said to me the other day, how are you? I said, I'm old and mean and ugly. And she looked at me rather strangely and said, I think I can tolerate mean. Think about it. That's funny, aren't you going to laugh? You didn't get it, did you? I'll explain it to you afterwards. She meant she couldn't tolerate how old and ugly I am. All of us are going down that path. I used to have black hair, in fact, I used to have hair. I don't know what happened. I asked my doctor one time, how do you avoid falling hair? He said, step to one side. You get old, you start decaying. We don't like the process. Somebody lied to me about old age. They called it the golden years. That's a bunch of nonsense. Everything on my body that works hurts. No fun now. You young people have that to look forward to. But he calls it something. Look at the next verse. He said it's our light affliction. It's just a light affliction, which is but for the moment, and it works for us, a far more exceeding weight of glory. What we're going through here can't be compared to what's waiting. It just can't. But we have to do something, we have to look at something, we have to see something, he says, while we look. Not at the things which are seen, how do you look at unseen things? With the eye of faith. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal in the heavens. Now notice the next verse. For we know that if this body, this earthly tabernacle, this tent, is taken down. The King James has dissolved, but it's actually the phrase is taken down. When this tent in which I now live is taken down, I have a new one. A building of God eternal in the heavens that wasn't made with hands. God gives us that new body so we can meet Him one day. And that new body presents us to God in a way that we're not found naked before Him. Now how do I know that? Look at verse 7. For we walk by faith. I can see it with the eye of faith. I do not need to see it with my physical eyes. I don't walk by sight. Anybody who walks by sight is not ready to die. Some people teach that verse 7 means we don't know it yet, but when we see it, we'll know it. No, we already said we knew it by the eye of faith. And I know it just as well as I know that New York City exists. And I've never been to New York City, don't have a desire to go there. But Micah said that he'd been there and he told me it was there and I believe him. I've good evidence there, that it's there. I have the evidence that heaven is there. Paul says, I know it, I've seen it with the eye of faith. In fact, he saw it with his own eyes, he was caught up into the third heaven once, wasn't he? But he knew it without even seeing it by the eye of faith, I believe, What my master told me, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are huge rooms, many mansions The King James has. Great big rooms, plenty of room there, folks. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, my wife has to get the house prepared sometimes for visitors. He didn't have to go and create heaven. He just got it ready by his sacrifice and his humiliation and all of the things he did for us. I go and prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am you may be and whither I go you know and the way you know and Thomas said how can we know the way we don't know where you're going he said I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes unto the Father but by me I know how to get there and I know what it is it's a departure from this body That's not a big deal, is it? Shouldn't be too hard. Everybody does it. I used to think that death was some kind of a convulsion. But over the years, I've spent many hours in hospitals with folks who are dying. And all that happens is the person just stops. That's it. And I learned a long time ago to watch the neck because you can see the pulse. And I was in a hospital room with a husband and a wife and they were talking and they talked a lot about it and I recommend that. In fact, they were saying to each other if we can if I can exp-, if he was saying to her, if I can explain to you what's happening I will. And I watched him and I thought he stopped and so I went and got the nurse and she came in with her steth- stethoscope and listened and walked out toward the door and said I'll go get the doctor and as she did his head rolled over toward her and said to her he said to her it's beautiful. I don't know what happened. I don't know how to explain that. I just know what he said. He communicated to her what was happening in the best way he could. He said, it's beautiful. What is it? Just a departure, a going home for us, a leaving this shell that's the seed for the next body. It is sown a natural body. It, same it, is raised a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15, 44. You have to plant something before you can get the new plant. And so we have to plant this body, but we don't have to stay in it while it's planted. We can just walk away when death occurs. Several years ago, Dorothy's youngest, next to your youngest brother, she's one of nine children, was told by his doctors that the surgery that was pending for him was of such a nature that he might not make it off the operating table. He had to have, he had an aneurysm in the aorta of his heart, 49 years old. So he drove all the way from Louisville, Kentucky, to Memphis, to South Haven, to see her, to visit her, as he thought, one last time, maybe. And one night I was sitting at the kitchen table, and he walked into the kitchen, and he said, Keith, what's it like to die? I said, Bobby, sit down. Let's talk. And Ray, by midnight, we baptized him into Christ. But I explained it to Bobby this way. I said, Bobby, when you were little and your parents were visiting somewhere and you fell asleep where they were visiting, where did you wake up? He said, usually in my bed. I said, how did you get there? Well, I guess my father carried me. I said, "That's exactly what death is like. You go to sleep here, and he carries you there, or at least an angel may." He was such at such peace. He did die on the operating table two weeks later, but he was at peace. He was ready to die. Look at First John three. You know why you're holding that book in your hand? You're getting ready to go. You're learning about your new home. That's what it's all about. Sister Mercy, we've got so many friends over there, sometimes I would just like to go and say hello. <laughs> Heaven used to scare me. They talk to me about pink clouds and harps and stuff. I, that's, I don't like that. I'm used to green grass and trees and sunshine. But you know what, I don't even think about that anymore. I just think about all those folks over there I want to see. And I'm not so upset anymore. In 1 John 3, John tells us that. He said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. You know, the world doesn't understand how we think about that. I was doing a funeral one day for a... Gentleman and his daughter was so upset she threw herself into the casket and screamed, I'll never see him again, I'll never see him again, I'll never see him again. See, the world doesn't understand. But listen to John. Behold, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he shall appear we'll be like him, for we're going to see him as he is. And every man that hath that hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Do you know why I live the Christian life? I know where I'm going. So who's ready tonight? Mhm. Let's go to John 6:44 and 45. Who's ready? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, how are we drawn to God, Jesus? How are we drawn to you? It is written in the prophets. They shall all be taught of God. Therefore every man that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. My friend, do you want to get ready for the next world? We're going to have to teach you how to get ready. You can't get it any other way. It doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come by a convulsion or a lightning bolt. You have to be taught. That's why Jesus said, go teach all nations. It's a taught religion. It's a taught way of life. We have to teach you. But once we teach you, what is it we're going to tell you? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 with me. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he tells the Corinthians how they got ready for the resurrection. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which you received, where... You stand by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I did, de- underline this one, for I delivered. I delivered. He taught them something. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul himself had to be taught how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Did you notice that he delivered to them the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Why is that important? Well run your fingers over to Romans 6 for a moment and I can think maybe draw that together for us and see why it's important. At Romans 6.16 Paul told the Romans you not know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness but God be thanked you were the servants of sin. Now listen to him. But you have obeyed from the heart that form. Do any of you ladies still use a dress form? You know what that is? Is that too old-fashioned? Nobody has one anymore, maybe. It's a pattern, isn't it? That, lady, that sister has one. It's a pattern, isn't it? Of course, I knew that sister. She and I played marbles with Moses. <laughs> We've known each other a long time. It's a pattern. Well, he said, I delivered to you a pattern of what, Paul? Doctrine, teaching. Some pattern he delivered them. Well, what did he deliver the Corinthians? Death, burial, and Resurrection. And he said, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching delivered you. Hear the word. And being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. They were ready to die. How did they obey from the heart that pattern of teaching? How did they get ready? Stay right there in Romans 6 and run over to verse 3. He said, don't you know? Now watch him. That so many of us as were baptized into the Death of Christ, there's your death. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried, there's your burial, we are buried with him by baptism into death. We have to die, too, to ourselves. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in the of life. You know, when we immerse someone in water, he is emulating the death, burial, And resurrection, if we don't let him rise, he'll drown. We've got to get him out of the water. It's a resurrection too. It's a pattern. And at that moment, God does several things for us. He takes away all of our past sins and its guilt. He removes it. That's why baptism is said to be for or in order to the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Not because the water does it, but because God does it then and only then and not before then. Colossians 2, 12 through 14. He also puts you into Christ, adds you to the church of Christ, justifies you. And if you were to die right at that moment, you'd go straight into paradise. You'd be ready. You got ready to die, to see the Father. Look at John 1, 18. This is an amazing statement that John makes. Am I making you look too much tonight? That's good. Love to hear those Bible pages turning. You know, the members of the Church of Christ used to carry their Bibles with them everywhere. They always had one with them. People wanted to know the answer to a Bible question they'd call a member of the Church. I hope that keeps up. No man has seen the Father at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Think with me just a moment. Nobody who has ever lived has actually seen the Father. Isn't that amazing? Well, didn't they talk to God in the garden? No, they had a representative. Well, I thought Moses saw him on the mountain. No, he saw angels that represented him. Well, whom did Isaiah see? He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also Jehovah. Saw the second person of the Godhead, John 12, 41. Nobody's seen the Father. So all of us, all together, who are His... One of these days, the Father's going to say, Son, I'm lonely. Go get my family and bring it home. And so we're all going to go there, Billy, and meet Him for the first time, all together. What a day that will be. Are you ready for it? In 1939, a baseball player named Lou Gehrig was told he had a disease that is now named after him. It killed him, of course. But he stood at Yankee Stadium after he retired and said, I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That quote has been given year after year after year. Everybody almost can quote Lou Gehrig saying that, but he's wrong. You're looking at the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I have known the love of the number one preacher's wife in all the world for 50 years. I'm sorry, but mine's number one. And actually, my children love me, believe it or not. I know the love of children. And as long as I have money, my grandchildren love me. (laughs) They got me a plaque for Christmas that said, Kids, the gift that keeps on taking They love me. I hope that great-granddaughter's all right and that she loves me. But that's not pure love. That's human love. I haven't seen that yet. But that day, when we're introduced to him, you're going to be so drawn to that love, it'll feel like a magnet pulling your soul. You'll want to be in his presence forever. But if you're not ready, then you're going to see something too. You're going to watch that face turn away from you. And all of that light, and all of that love, and all of that desire to be with him, and you're in darkness. And from somewhere deep within you, you're going to hear a primordial scream like you never heard before, no, 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 no. But nobody will care that you're screaming. Not even the one that loved you enough to send his son will care you're there. I used to say that hell was a place of hate. It isn't, it's a place where nobody cares you're there. You're in a place of helplessness and hopelessness, lack of love, lack of care, nobody wants to be there. But when we see that face, if we're ready, we're going to walk into that light unto which no man at this moment can approach until he's introduced to the Father by the Son. Because no man comes to the Father but by the Christ. Look at Romans 3 with me for a moment. We have to be in Christ to meet the Father, there isn't any other way to do that. Romans, the third chapter. I want to show you a verse that should help you understand why I said that. We have to be in Christ to meet the Father. Look at verse 25 of Romans 3. Whom, that's Christ, God, that's the Father, hath set forth, put him on public display. For what reason? To be a propitiation. This is the only time this word used in the New Testament here Not in the English. We have the word propitiation in the English over at 1 John 2, but that's a different word. This word is the word for mercy seat. If you know your Old Testament, you know that the high priest, once a year, went into the very most holy place. And on the lid of the ark was the mercy seat. And the high priest met God in that most holy place at the mercy seat. Well, the mercy seat into heaven today is Christ. And the only way that his people can meet the God of heaven is to be at the mercy seat. And the only way you can get at the mercy seat, to get ready to die, is to be in Christ. There isn't any other way to do it. Death is an enemy, but when it occurs, a lot of us don't know how to handle it. I was at a funeral home just recently, and I heard a lady say to the widow, I know just what you're going through. Obviously, that girl's never been to my grief seminar, because we don't know what you're going through. When someone dies close to you or when you have a problem in life such as losing a job, how many of you have ever lost your car keys? What would you feel like? Now multiply that by a hundred and lose somebody you love. It's the same feeling. You just multiply it more. It's anger. That's what grief is. It's anger. You're angry. Why? The enemy took him. The enemy took her makes us angry. We don't call it that, we call it grief. And some of us get angry at God. Well, that's in a way a good thing because at least you believe He's there. And some of us get angry at our mates for leaving. And, somebody, and some of us get angry at the situation. But it's called grief and everybody does it uniquely. Whatever your personality is, whatever your background is, your religion, whatever it is, you grieve uniquely. I have no idea what you're going through and neither does anyone else. And whatever you're going through, it's all right. I've seen some at funeral homes that can't cry. I understand that. I have seen some who can't help but crying. I understand that. Whatever you're going through, it's unique. And when death occurs... Christians need to be ready to help those folks without interfering and saying something like, I know what you're going through. And one of the things you don't want to say to folks when that happens is, I'm so sorry. You might say I'm sorry for your loss, but when you say I'm so sorry, for what? Did you kill the person? You make the person angrier when you tell him that. We don't understand that yet, but if you'll come to my grief seminars, I'll teach it. Trying to get some customers, aren't I? We need to learn how to talk to people who've lost someone. And one of the best things that I can say to people, preacher students, one of the best things you can do when someone dies is just be there not say a word. You might say, I'm thinking of you, but that's about it, because they're not going to remember what you said anyway. They don't remember what I say in the funeral service, but they do remember that I was there. And that's what's important. They need us. And you know, brothers and sisters, when they need us the most, not just the day of the funeral, but a week later, and two weeks later, and three weeks later when it really starts to hit home, when death occurs, are we ready? Look at Hebrews 2 with me for a moment. Let's get verse 14. For as much then as the children, that's you and I, people, are partakers of flesh and blood, that's what we live in this body, it's the one God made us, he, also, he Christ, also himself likewise took part of the same. He became a man. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Hmm. I have this thought in my head that when Jesus died on the cross, the devil shrieked with joy. But what he didn't know was he lost. He lost. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christians grieve. But they don't grieve as others who have no hope. We do it differently. I was standing in the hallway at Methodist Hospital downtown knowing that the sister in Christ in the room was being told that she was terminal. Dorothy and I had the privilege to work with terminally ill folks for 17 years. And we believe we met those people at the best times of their lives when they were showing courage and other things. But anyway, she was being told, and I waited outside in the hallway, and when the doctor came out, I went in, and she went like this. So I walked over to the bed, and she kept going like that. So I bent over, and she grabbed my ears, and she pulled my face about an inch from hers and screamed at me, What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? was thinking maybe you should let go of my ears I don't think of spiritual things in times like those I had a friend one time who fell out of a tree gospel preacher he fell 20 feet to the ground and I thought I'll get some really good spiritual insight and ask him what he was thinking so I said what were you thinking on the way down he he said I was thinking you fool you killed yourself so we don't get too spiritual in moments like that But as I looked into her eyes, the thing that bothered me was I was seeing terror. Terror. We talked a lot. I think she got a little bit more calm. We talked for days after that. I hoped that she was getting a different insight. It's one thing not to want to die. It's another thing to be terror-filled. The Bible says right here that he took that away when he overcame death. Brothers and sisters, he walked out of the tomb. We are going to do so too. That's the promise. Paul, toward the end of his life, said, I'm ready to be offered, poured out. Time of my departure is at hand. It's time to go. He always wanted to go. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he always had that problem of there's a lot to do here too. But he knew when it was time, he was ready. Henceforth, there's, he said, I fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Did you hear about those two ladies over there in paradise? And they got to looking around at all of the wonder, and their mouths were open, and they were just jaws dropping, and they just looked around and said, Oh, wow, we could have been here eight years earlier if we hadn't eaten all that old bran." Marshall Keeble was sitting in his office one day, laughing out loud. Miss Minnie came in and said, Brother Keeble, why are, what are you doing? You're sitting here by yourself, laughing out loud. He said, I was sitting here thinking about heaven. What am I going to do? Surely we've gotten a better message from the Christ than that. What am I going to do? I'm going to get ready. Because that day is coming. And it's coming quite quickly. How many of you have read the book of Revelation? You know that real hard book to understand? Don't let anybody tell you that. It's the easiest book in the New Testament to understand. It has one message. All of those scenes... And all of that apocalyptic language, just one message. Little boy was sitting reading a book and he was talking to it. And he said, ha oh, ha, that's not going to happen. No, you're not. No, 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 that won't. And his father walked by the bedroom and saw him and got worried. My son is talking to a book. And that dad got a little bit concerned. Maybe something had happened. He said, Son, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading a book. He said, I see that, but why are you talking to it? He said, Dad, this is a book about policemen and robbers. And all the time, the robbers think they're going to win. But I read the end of the book, Dad. (laughs) They're not going to win. I read the end of the book, and you did too. And what's the message? We win. We have a victory in Christ if we overcome. We don't become overcome. We have a victory, we win. We should sing victory in Jesus for the... Why don't we sing it for the invitation song tonight? Victory in Jesus. Oh, what a thought, victory in Jesus. Think about it. We'll walk in there and we'll see the Son and the Holy Spirit and all those folks that are gathered around the throne and everybody's joyous and everybody's singing and everybody's having a great time and we get to see perfect love and we get drawn into it where's the fear? and I'll get to see that grandson and some of my friends here in this area who've left us and you will too But you're not ready until you become a Christian. Just not ready. Preachers will tell you that it's a lot easier to do the funeral of a Christian than it is of a non-Christian. Because you can tell the family, we know where he or she is right now. And what we'll have to do is get used to the fact they're not here, and that's a hard process. But we'll help each other get through it so we can see them again Don't get mad at God because folks die. Man caused that problem. The wages of sin is death. God doesn't do that. In fact, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. The God of heaven has no joy either in the death of the wicked, It doesn't give him any satisfaction when that occurs. But those who are really ready are his children. They've been taught about the death, burial, and resurrection. And they have obeyed it from the heart. And they are living faithfully because of what he did for them. They love him and they want to go and meet him one day. I hope you're ready tonight. I hope we've said something that will encourage you to be ready. And if you need our help tonight or our prayers, will you come while we stand, while we sing?